All right, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the Rigos Rag Podcast. Ian Cummings here with Jacob Kamenker. As always, we're here to talk about the final pick in the Redskins 2020 NFL Draft slate. Last time we were with you, we were talking about uh, their first seventh rounder, Cameron Curl. Uh, so if you want to listen to that, it's on the site. We're talking about James Smith-Williams now, edge defender for NC State. I don't think Jacob can work any name puns in here, but I don't know. He's proven me wrong before, so we'll see. Jacob, how are you doing? I'm, uh, I'm doing good. I uh, hit on the driving range uh, for the first time in like four years on Monday, and uh, my body is still extremely sore. Um, so if you hear me make some sort of horrible groaning sound, uh, just know that it's because I decided golfing was a good idea, and uh, my body rejected that idea. Why would you ever decide golfing is a good idea? That's beyond me. I don't even know. All right, well, we will get more into that and uh, the draft stuff, but first, a quick word from our sponsors. So sit back and uh, have a listen. All right, we are back. So golfing, how'd you do? Um, it was just at the driving range, but uh, I did pretty good for someone who's barely picked up a golf club in the past few years. Uh, I mean, I was blasting the driver like 150 yards straight at times, which, you know, compared to pros is pretty terrible, but uh, <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. I've never... Anything to uh, have some sort of athletic achievement. Yeah, exactly. I've never picked up a golf club before, so, you know, I don't have the reference frame, so to me, that's pretty good. So, congrats. Pat yourself on the back. Uh, I Yeah, I played tennis over the weekend. Uh, I, uh, I've i been playing with my buddy. Uh, we played in high school together, and we've been playing for a few years, and he's he's had my number for this summer so far, but I finally got my first win on him in a tie break, 7-6, 7-5 in the tie break. Whew, it was it was tough, man. I was I was hitting some heaters though, so I was proud of myself. We'll see, we'll see how I fare today, later today, because we got another match scheduled. But uh, yeah, like you said, the athletic achievements, you know, as as places are starting to open up a little a little bit more, you can do more things. Uh, it's always good to get out there and be active. But today we're not doing that. We're sitting in. We're talking about James Smith Williams. Um, he was the last seventh round pick for the Redskins this year. Kind of their Mister Relevant, if you will. Um, and I, I really didn't have this on the radar when I was thinking about who they might pick. I was, I was hoping they'd go with another defensive back with a little more physical upside, you know, uh, but, uh, Smith Williams was the pick and he kind of, you know, in a sense, he kind of matches what we've, we've come to expect Ron Rivera to want from these guys. He seems like a high character guy and he's got some upside as well, but, um, I don't know to me watching his tape and there's not a lot of it cause he's had some injury concerns. I think uh, it's going to be an uphill battle for him to make the roster. But before we get into that, let's just talk about who James Smith-Williams is and what he brings as a prospect. What did you take away from him and his uh, overall profile? Yeah, it's funny because uh, in my original mock draft of the offseason, simulating the entire offseason back in January, I actually had the Redskins going with a different North Carolina defensive end in the seventh round. It was Jason Strobridge, and he ended up going much earlier than um, – Smith Williams did, uh, but in, in terms of in terms of a player to get in the seventh round, I think James Smith Williams is a good gamble. I mean, you hit on the injury concerns that he's had. He's only played more than six games once in his uh, college career, and I believe he was a fifth or sixth year senior for the uh, Wolfpack last year. So uh, that's a major concern. But when he's on the field, he demonstrates good pass rushing ability. He has a good 6'4", 265-pound frame. And despite his injuries, he's still very, very athletic. Um, he has good length. He has good speed. Um, 
And, you know, provided that he hasn't been sapped of too much of that athletic ability from the injuries, I think that he'll be a, a good developmental prospect. Like you, I'm not sold that he's going to make the team because he plays the edge rush position. But as you mentioned, he's a high-character guy. He was a captain at NC State um, his final year. And they gave him the number one jersey, which they give to uh, one of the uh, team's best performers and team leaders. So uh, that's a good sign for him, too. So... I think what the team's getting in Smith-Williams is a hard worker, um, albeit one with some injury concerns, and someone who, if he pans out, could eventually become a rotational edge rusher. So I, I kind of like the pick. I think it's a good swing-for-the-fences type pick, but it also has a very, very low floor for the team. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Just to kind of give people an idea of his injury concerns, he only played more than 10 games in one season in college. In 2015, as a freshman, he only played in one game. Or actually, yeah, as a true freshman. Then he got his redshirt designation uh, the next year and played in only five games. Then he played in only six games in 2017. 2018 was really the only year he saw, like, consistent action. And in that year, he did pretty, he did okay. You know, he, he got six sacks, nine tackles for loss, 36 total tackles, two pass deflections, and a forced fumble. And, you know, you would hope that he would build off of that in his final season. He he kind of, he went an extra year, had a six-year of eligibility, like you said. But uh, he kind of disappeared again, had more injury concerns, had really, had trouble staying on the field, only had a sack and a tackle for loss in uh, six games. So the, the ability to uh, provide an impact consistently, to, first, your best ability is your availability. And, and Smith-Williams hasn't proven that he's had that. And on Lance Zierlein's uh, NFL draft page, he had a quote from a source, a national scout for an NFC team who literally said, as to um, who said about Smith Williams, he can't stay on the field. There's no way we draft a guy on, like that. If we draft a player with his injury history, we'll target him as a free agent, but that's it. Um, and, you know, me thinking about it, they probably could get him as a free agent uh, if that's the case. I didn't think a lot of teams were gunning for him, but when you get to that point in the draft, whoever you're picking, there's not there's never going to be a lot of teams gunning for them you know it's kind of like picking the best guy left on your board who you prefer and um you know I would agree I, I think that he had some traits that that warranted them picking him there he's definitely a high character guy he's a really smart guy uh he had a 30 on the ACT in high school had like a 4.9 GPA I think which is insane and he's already got a job with IBM as a mechanical as a mechanics person I think lined up once his NFL career is over so this guy is like super smart, super high character. Um, and you know, you got to think only he'll only be a positive impact on the locker room as a rookie and moving forward after that. I'm just, I'm just concerned, I guess, as to how long he sticks around and how long they can benefit from that. Yeah. I think that's the big question with him is can he stay healthy at the next level? If he couldn't stay healthy in college, it's, it's worth wondering. I, I think the big, the reason that Rivera targeted him um, at that point in the draft is because, one, it was so late. Two, he's a good team leader and captain. He's obviously a smart guy, like you said. And three, there's enough upside there, um, as we saw in his one full season when he notched the six sacks, that he, he could develop into something at the next level. You're not banking on him staying healthy at this point, and if needed, the team could stash him on injured reserve or keep him on the practice squad for a year. Um, but I, I think they ultimately drafted him because they saw the upside there with him and they figured that upside is just better than anything else they could get at this point. It's kind of the exact opposite of Cameron Curl, who they picked with the second pick in the seventh round, uh, where 
both you and I think that Curl has a very high floor but a very low ceiling. Uh, Smith-Williams has a pretty high ceiling uh, but a very low floor in that, you know, it's possible he could never play a game for the Redskins or it's possible that he could develop into a really high-quality backup pass rusher and uh, find a way to uh, make an impact as a long-term option behind Montez Sweat and uh, Chase Young. Yeah, we will see. We will see. And one thing, I don't know how you feel about this, so I want to kind of lay this on you real quick. I was watching his tape, you know, and he shows some flashes of really good explosiveness off the edge for his size. Like, just in an instant, he's up there. But then he loses juice really quickly, and a lot of times I saw that his hands weren't really fast enough to help him maximize those second effort rushes. To me, his rushing style almost seemed a little bit more like a interior defensive lineman. You know, he's not really bendy. He's just kind of, he's got that vertical, that straight line explosiveness off the line and then kind of tries to muscle his way to the quarterback after that. So I'm, I'm kind of thinking to myself, you know, hey, he, he added like 70 pounds in college. He, he had, he underwent a, a massive transformation. Could he add 10 to 15 more pounds and then maybe become an edge interior hybrid for the team? That would really increase his utility as a backup and potentially give him the inside track to a, to a reserve job and, and some long-term security. I don't know how you feel about that, but uh, that's, that's kind of something that I caught on uh, when I was watching him. Yeah, I could definitely see the, the team trying to do that, make him a little bit more of a hybrid player. Um, I think he went to NC State as a defensive back, and they turned him into a defensive lineman, which is just wildly impressive that they were able to do that. It speaks a bit to his work ethic, too, being able to bulk up those 70 pounds, like you said. Um, I think his his style could definitely work on the interior, because I do think he has that good get-off, like you said. Um, He was – I watched uh, a game of his against Boston College from 2018, and I – Pretty sure you probably watched that one too, because there's not a ton of tape out there. Yeah, that was the only one. <laughs> yeah, that it was that, and watching a, I watched a number of highlight clips to see what his uh, best plays and ceiling type plays were. Yeah. Um, but the against Boston College, Boston College notoriously has good offensive lines. Um, he w- he would have that good get off, like you said, but then would often be just stopped by the tackle if the tackle could get out quick enough. Now, if the, if the tackle didn't get out quick enough. Smith Williams was on his way to the quarterback. He brought down Anthony Brown, I think, once in that game as a result. So uh, he, he definitely has some potential there. But if he's quicker on the inside and he can bulk up a little bit and, uh, you know, do enough there to make himself a weapon, I could see them trying to turn him into a hybrid player. He's 265 pounds, so he'd probably have to add, like, 15 pounds to be a, a proper size to make that type of impact. But he has yeah. the frame needed to do that. He's 6'4", so he can bulk up. It's just a matter of whether or not the team's going to want him to play there or play somewhere else. Yeah, and, you know, you said he came in as a defensive back. He added 70 pounds, and looking at his tape, at 265, he still moves pretty well. You know, he's not, like, super bendy or whatever. You know, he's not super agile, but he still has that get-off, and I feel like you know, that comes from the lower body. So if he adds on a little bit of extra weight, I'm pretty sure. And if it's good weight, that's important too. But uh, he's a workout warrior. So he's a weight room warrior is what I've heard. Like he really takes that seriously. So I don't think we need to worry about that. But, you know, if he were to add that, I feel like he could keep a good amount of that explosiveness and use that on the inside where he'd then be able to kind of maximize his skill set a little bit better. I also think his versatility could help in the roster battle because if you look at this team's defensive end group, you know, you got Chase Young, you got Montez Sweat, you got Ryan Kerrigan. I feel like all those guys can just 
put in Sharpie, you know, those guys are going to make the team. But after that, it kind of gets a little complex. Um, you got Ryan Anderson, who's there, and you wrote an article about whether they should trade him or not. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of on the, I'm kind of on the ship where they should at least feel out offers. They're not going to get a ton for him, but I don't really think he fits the scheme. But uh, Ryan Anderson does kind of have a little bit of versatility in the sense that he could be an edge rusher still. He'd be undersized, but he could fill that role and then also be a Sam linebacker, you know. Um, and then there are other guys in that conversation, like uh, Cameron Malvo. I wrote an article on him earlier this offseason. He's like 6'5", 280, I think. So he's kind of that really, he's really, he fits that profile of that hybrid defensive end interior lineman. Now, he's never stuck around anywhere, so we can't really expect him to do that now, but um, there are other guys that Smith Williams is ultimately fighting for this roster spot who provide that versatility. And I feel like that's one of his avenues to success. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's that's kind of something that I think about is he's kind of fighting those guys. How do you how do you kind of weigh him against guys like Anderson and, and uh, Malvo and Orchard? And how do you think he stacks up there for the time being? I know Jordan Barrelford is in there, too. So. Yeah, I think it's it's pretty hard to compare him to a guy like Ryan Anderson or Nate Orchard because I think Anderson and Orchard both aren't ideal scheme fits for the 4-3, and I think they're going to have to play the Sam linebacker position, like you mentioned, uh, play closer to the line of scrimmage and kind of rush the passer uh, more from that position. Um, Anderson, I think, is probably going to be trusted as kind of that de facto fourth pass rusher, though he's undersized if they keep him. Uh, but at, at this point, I can't say with any certainty that he'll make the team just because he's such a bad scheme fit for the 4-3. Yeah. Um, I, I think when you look at Smith-Williams, the people he's going to have to fight are guys like Jordan Brailford, Cameron Malvo, like you mentioned. Ryan B is another guy who I like. He yeah. has inside-outside versatility and a massive frame. Um, B was super productive at Marshall. Um and he was an undrafted free agent we signed last year. He's just very consistent, a good pass rusher, and he spent last year on the practice squad. Uh, if I was to pick an eighth defensive lineman right now, you know, assuming that those three guys were keeping, you mentioned, in Sharpie or staying around, and then, of course, the defensive tackle group of Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, Tim Settle, Matt Ioannidis, and Caleb Brantley are also sticking around. So I guess, I guess there's actually already eight. So if I was keeping a ninth, I'd probably rate – Ryan B is my top choice uh, right now, just because I think he's the most versatile and has the most upside with his frame. Uh, then it comes down to Brailford, Malvo, and Smith-Williams, who you want to keep around, who makes the practice squad, who's the most versatile. So I think I think Smith-Williams just has too tough of a spot to uh, – uh, or, or he has too tough of a battle to earn a spot this year. I just don't – He'd have to win the fourth edge rush job, and that would be if the team kept nine uh, defensive linemen, which I don't think they're likely to do. I think they may keep eight, uh, just especially if they view Ryan Anderson as a hybrid player that could play on the defensive line and at linebacker. So I, I just don't see a good path Williams on the roster. I think he's a he's a great guy to have on the practice squad, though, because he's a hard worker. And, you know, maybe a year where he doesn't really have to play in games will uh, afford him an opportunity to get fully healthy. Yeah. Yeah. That's another thing that kind of goes on under the radar is that, you know, some some guys need extended periods of time where they're not really getting hit, you know, because contact really takes a toll in the acute sense and in the long term sense. You know, you kind of 
uh, accumulate wear over time. But uh, I feel like, like you said, a year off from contact on the practice squad, just kind of going through the basics, maybe honing in on his hand usage and kind of getting that down. And also maybe putting on a couple few a few extra pounds to maybe take a hybrid role in year two, you know that would ultimately be of the most benefit to him. And you know that that's fine because when you're picking a guy in the seventh round, that's what should be expected. You know you should never you should always temper your expectations for guys like that. You know uh, I wrote in my piece this morning actually yeah uh, kind of going through the stats for the seventh rounders. I, I said that James Smith Williams was gonna be on the practice squad. Uh, for the year because you know when you're picking in the seventh round you're not really expecting much like Trey Quinn I think we can all agree that he hasn't lived up to the Trey Quinn season hype you know before the 2018 season I think but for for Mr. Irrelevant for the final pick in the draft you know getting 200 yards and a touchdown is yeah that's a lot more than some other people get so you know you kind of have to temper your expectations and never too high never too low I think with Smith Williams, they did get a guy who, you know, he he's up he has a really uphill battle uh to to make the roster a very strong position group. He he's basically coming into one of the strongest position groups on the team, if not the strongest. But at the same time, he's got some traits that even if he's not providing that impact on the field, he has traits where he could potentially be a of benefit to the team off the field. So, I feel like that is a good choice for Ron Rivera, you know, me personally. I would go with a guy with more upside at a at a weaker position, like corner or something. But then you, maybe you run the risk of adding a guy who might not be the best fit for the culture and just a bunch of other things. So it's really a give and take, and I feel like it was definitely a reasonable choice um, for uh, Ron Rivera and company, in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree with the the fact that it was a reasonable choice, and I'll point to another reason uh, that it could it could end up being even better than we're anticipating it. Both Ryan Kerrigan and Ryan Anderson are free agents after this season, uh, and we don't really know what's going to happen with either of them. I would put money on Anderson not returning because one, he's not an ideal scheme fit, and two, even if he has a really good or a really bad season or you know, a really good season. I don't think the Redskins are going to want to pay him uh, whatever he's worth. Um, Kerrigan, you know, he could resign if he's willing to be a backup and wants to be a Washington lifer. Um, but, you know, there's no guarantee that he would do that either. Either way you look at it, at least one backup role is going to be open. So if Smith-Williams spends a year with the team on the practice squad, developing, learning the system, getting to know exactly what his role would be as a backup edge player – and bulks up a little bit to, uh, you know, prevent further injury and give himself some versatility, then he can become kind of a valuable role player for the team. And uh, as as you mentioned earlier, not a ton of teams would co- were considering taking him in the draft, so I don't think they're running the risk of losing him if they try to put him on their practice squad. So um, I, I think he has upside for 2021 to uh, potentially play a role um, so even if it doesn't happen this year, I think further down the line, uh, something may open up for him. And uh, Rivera just likes his upside talent, athletic ability enough to give him that chance to uh, work with the team and prove himself. And, you know, the character stuff is just gravy on top of all of it. And if he becomes a good locker room presence, like, watch out. Maybe Rivera will be willing to hand him a backup job in the future. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I feel like this this whole future theme that we've kind of gone over is something it's a common thread for the entire draft like you, even going back to the third round you know Antonio Gibson I you know maybe he's not going to have a huge role this year because his volume was limited at the college level but you look at the Redskins running backs you know we don't know if Darius Geis is going to keep his job after this year we don't know if Adrian Peterson's even going to be here because he's like 48 you know <laughs> 
And then a bunch of other guys are, are kind of on one-year deals. I think J.D. McKissick, Peyton Barber. One of them might be on a two-year deal. I can't remember. It's been a while since I wrote the free agency stuff. But that's you know that's an example of Gibson, even if he might make an impact, might not make an impact this year, there's still that chance where he kind of grows into a bigger role. And then, you know, with Keith Ismail, we talked about that in his podcast. With Chase Rullier being a free agent next offseason, they might not re-sign him. And then Keith Ismail, you know, he might be only a backup this year, but he could be the starter down the line. And then um, a few other guys, too. So I think, uh, you know, you look at Smith-Williams, yeah, this year he might just be relegated to the practice squad, but the unit's depth might take a hit next year, depending on what happens with Kerrigan and Anderson and, and some other guys. So I think... Smith Williams, if he can kind of use the year off to get healthy and and better himself in the nuances of the game, he could be a more valuable rotational uh, piece for them. So I feel like in that sense, it's a pretty, you know, it's a reasonable, it's a smart pick, and uh, it could potentially provide dividends long term. So we will see. Um, but I think we are almost done with the draft podcast series, Jacob. It's a momentous occasion. Do you want to leave our listeners off with something? Uh, yeah, just as is always the case with the draft, like we don't know what's going to happen, but there's reason to be excited about these Redskins picks for the most part. Some of them have upside. Uh, you know, Chase Young's obviously going to play a big role in the future of that defense. But overall, I think the team did a solid job of adding guys that are going to fit into Ron Rivera's culture. They did a really good job of researching the character traits they want to add. And, you know, even with their later round picks, like you said, they may not contribute right away, but they've set themselves up for potential future success. So I think overall they did a really good job with this draft. I think I, I think I gave it a B grade at the time of the draft. I think I'll stick to that. I, I just like it. It's solid overall. Um, and we'll see what happens. Training camp's around the corner, hopefully. So uh, we'll get some answers as to how the guys are doing soon enough. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I think I gave it a B or B minus, you know, like it was pretty solid. Maybe there were some day three, like early day three picks that I would have changed. Um, But uh, overall, you know, and you can't say much about it now because like you said, we have to wait and see what happens. We have to see, we have to let it play out. And that's the biggest thing. And, and so much of that is kind of situational too. Like it really depends on the situation that they're coming into. And so in that case, all we can do is hope that Ron Rivera is the right coach for this franchise's future. I mean, earlier views are pretty positive, but I mean, they haven't even hit the training camp field yet. So we, we just have to wait, guys. And it's not even July yet. So we will be waiting a while, but we will be with you there every step of the way. Um, that does conclude our draft podcast series. Uh, if you missed one of the earlier ones on like uh, Antonio Gibson, Chase Young, Antonio Gandy-Golden, I know he's a favorite of a lot of fans out there. Um, I will make an article that links all the podcast episodes and, and kind of lists them in order so you can listen to those at your leisure and, and go through all of our, you know, gaffes and all of Jacob's bad name puns. Uh, but for the future, you know, don't go away. Stick with us because we'll also have other podcasts going over, you know, team history, other stuff like that. And we'll also have a mailbag coming out uh, later this week and you can get your questions in to us and we will try to provide timely responses. So until next time, guys, peace out. Have a good night.